As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The waiting is over. The New York Rangers are the Stanley Cup champions, and this one will last a lifetime. Howdy, everybody. Arthur Staple here. Welcome back to the Garden Faithful, and uh, I'll bring in Chris Flannery, my co-host, producer. What's going on, Chris? Oh, uh, man, nothing uh, nothing too much. <laughs> Just a really wild series to talk about. Yeah. The last time we were here, uh, and Chris is the big Ranger fan of the two of us, uh, I think we were both pretty convinced that this next show that we were doing, the one that we're recording right now, was going to be a season wrap-up, because it did not yeah. look good going into Game 5. Uh, the Rangers were, quite frankly, embarrassed uh, and embarrassing in their two games at Pittsburgh to go down 3-1. And yet, here we are, prepping for Rangers-Hurricanes in round two. Um, so we'll start off basically with uh, how that all happened. And, uh, you know, got to start with game seven, which yep. was a great atmosphere, you know, um, uh, because I'm lucky enough to work at a place like The Athletic. I don't have to – I'm not tethered to my laptop for the last seconds of every game so to send a story and write when it ends. So I, my general move is to go down uh, and stand in the stands if I can find a spot to watch, whether it's overtime or whatever. I think I watched the last two and a half overtimes of game one down in the stands. And so this one I was like, ah, you know, it's game seven. It'd be good to be close by and kind of get in, you know, take it all in closer to where the fans are. And uh, when they went on that power play and it kind of like it's at the other end of the ice from where I'm watching and I'm just watching them kind of fumble it around. I'm just like, you know what? I had the same thought as Gerard Gallant, like Panarin's been so bad in this game. Mm-hmm. He's he's if they're going to score in this power play, it's going to be him. And then boom, he hits it and the place goes bananas. And um, 
it just it, it was such a like that game was a perfect kind of a perfect summation of the whole series where there were stretches where the Rangers looked good. There were stretches where they looked really bad and tentative. Um, Igor Shosturkin played a great game and still managed to give up three goals, including a couple of ones that you're just not used to seeing him give up. Uh, another breakaway goal, which, you know, we'll get into that a little bit later on when we're talking about kind of individual performances in the series. Um, but they found a way. You know, they had they had nothing going in the first, whatever, 13, 14 minutes of the third period, down a goal, not generating much, not putting enough pressure on a, on a goalie. And Tristan Jari hadn't played in a month. And then, boom, some odd animating incident happens, like happened in the previous two games. And this one, it was Alexi Lafreniere hog-tying Marcus Pedersen and taking his helmet off, which probably, you know, could have been a penalty. It could have been four-on-four since they were kind of hugging each other behind the net. Pedersen got up, decided to gesture at the refs instead of going to either pick up his helmet or hustle off the ice. So he stops, looks at the refs as the puck is going back around. Latang comes on, trying to find his his spot uh, where he's coming on for a lefty and not a righty like he normally does. I mean, he's a veteran, so it's not that big a deal. But he's trying to figure out where he's supposed to be. As he's doing that, John Marino turns it over and booms advantages in the perfect position. Latang has a second to set himself and screens Jari, and boom, it's tied. And it's just like they went from dead to alive. It was basically the whole last week of the series, and. Uh, and you know it, it it's certainly a coin flip when it gets to overtime, and Pittsburgh could have very easily won it, but um it just felt like uh even after playing the way that they did for those middle three game or the really the middle two games, uh which were probably two of the worst games they played all year, yep. it still felt like they were supposed to win, and they did yeah, yeah i mean it's a per- it's exactly right it's a perfect uh perfect summation it it, it was just it was so exciting i mean like you said when we talked about it after game four um we knew that game five had to be i mean obviously after they played game four it was one of the worst games they played probably the worst game they played uh all year where we we felt like they quit and you know it just looked like a team that was dead it looked like they were not going to be able to do it and we knew that they had to come out in game five and if not win it um show something and that even started off like uh you know a little bit slowly and eventually they they found their way. And we, and we had talked about Mika Zibanejad being a guy, or I had talked about at least Mika Zibanejad. You had picked Chris Kreider as two guys that had been pretty disappointing so far through, you know, the early stage of the series. Um, they're leaders. The team leans on them. They, you know, Kreider had 52 goals. Zibanejad was really uh, heating up as the season went along. Look, looked uh, looked like he really found the form that he had before the uh, pandemic had, had uh, you know, taken hold. And, uh, you know, for him to come through in that moment was really exciting. And obviously we'll talk about the other games. He, he, he came to life before that, but for him to come through at that moment and, and he said, you know, in the post game, they just didn't want the season to end. You know, it, it was that simple. And, um, they started to play like that and it's it, man. I mean, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to just contain my, it was very, very exciting to watch that puck go in and, and, you know, obviously then they, they, uh, you know, they go into overtime and Panarin, Panarin wins it in fantastic fashion uh, after having a horrible night juggling pucks. I mean, I know the ice was bad, but it just he just looked. I mean, that's oh, yeah. Yeah, that's his coach be covering for him very nicely, which is a part of the reason that Gerard Gallant is a good coach in the NHL. He's he's got his players backs. And that's that's a nice way to put uh, the way that Panarin played most of that game. And 
I don't know if he would have, if Panarin, if they'd lost and we got to talk to Panarin, it would have been, uh, we shit our pants out there level, like his quote from, uh, one of the (laughs) terrible games down the stretch. Right. But, uh, but he was bad, you know, and, and compounded the, the usual when he's off his game, too much circling, uh, forcing passes that aren't there, making too many soft plays in the neutral zone. On top of that, he had two penalties, including that offensive zone penalty with yep. whatever it was, you know, eight minutes left. That could have really, you know, if the Penguins power play had done something there, that's that's it. That's the, you know, that's good night nurse. And they're they're out in seven and everybody's wondering if this guy is it can be, you know, with his giant contract can be a guy who can be relied on to be part of this core going forward. And uh, all of a sudden uh, everything changed i guess and, you know <laughs> i don't know that even with seven points in that series that was you could really call that a good series for for panarin just because his line you know i think the interesting adjustment that the penguins made in game six without crosby and with malkin was they wanted to get that top line with malkin and brian rust and jake gensel on against the strong panarin cop line they had been perfectly willing to live with the Crosby Zibanejad matchup in the first four games because they were dominating it. They, why would he yeah. want to do anything different? And it really took away from Zibanejad's offense. And then with Malkin there, because the Malkin line and Strom line had been kind of matching up against each other, either by accident, just by rotation or, or by choice by one of the coaches, probably Sullivan. So then without Crosby in game six, it's Malkin's line against that line. And they did, they did put one in on them. Uh, in that first period, and then, uh, but what it did was it freed Zibanejad up. So, so you you can see that Panarin wasn't as effective in the series, and when he's forced to defend, he's really no good. Um, but it, when you've got another top line as good as the one that the Rangers have, all of a sudden Zibanejad springs to life when he, when he doesn't have that burden of chasing eighty seven around, and that really illuminated the series. So even when we say Panarin was garbage. <laughs> It still ended up helping them. It's it's yeah. truly amazing that there have just been for every negative, there's a positive in this Rangers season, and it and it really it was in such stark you know uh, spotlighted in this series where there were guys that were just had stretches where they were not just mediocre but bad and looked nervous. Um, I thought a lot of a lot of Game Five and some of Game Six they looked pretty nervous, on, you know, trying not to make mistakes and not, not being on their toes. Uh, and then there was something that happened in every game. And in game seven, like we said, it was, you know, Lafreniere. And, and we'll talk a lot more about him because if we're talking guys that, whether it's under the radar guys from this last series or guys that we want to, you want to keep an eye on for the Hurricane series, Lafreniere, I think, uh, I think he's grown a lot in a lot of people's eyes this series with the way that he's played. Not, you know, he's not going to be, can't, can't lead the team in scoring when you're getting 12 minutes a night in the playoffs. But that play with Pedersen, He's willing to engage. Mm-hmm. He's he's you know he came out flying in the first game of the series. Tried to drill John Marino into Seventh Avenue, and he hasn't stopped. He's just his motor's been going. And I think the knock on him in the regular season was what what does this guy have to offer? You know, is he a scorer? Is he this? He's that. He's a playoff player. He's a big guy, and he knows it. And that line made a couple mistakes in that game seven. You know, Heedle's power play turnover uh, led to Rodriguez's go ahead goal there in the second period, the shorthanded goal, but. But you got to like what that line has been bringing, what Lafreniere is bringing when the when Gallant was just kind of throwing whoever was ready to go out uh, as they're down a goal heading into the back half of the third period. And it's Cop and Lafreniere and Zibanejad. Lafreniere may have been just staying on from his previous shift, but you still do something to make an impact, even if you're not on the score sheet. And that's what he did. 
Yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, I think Lafreniere was the most consistent player throughout the whole series. You know, I mean, he looked, um, and like you said, you know, it's like, he's a playoff performer. He came out and just even little things after the whistle, which is like, you know, you need a little spark. We, we talked about it after game four. It's like slash somebody do something, you know, like get something going. And he has that little thing where like after the whistle, he'll just kind of bump someone or he'll just, oops, I just kind of got tied up with that guy. Like there's like these little things that over the course of a series get irritating and he draws attention. And like you said, he, he ends up, you know, pulling the helmet off of Patterson and, and he makes the pass and, um, you know, he was in the corners and he, he did a lot of, of really good things. And I think you're right. I, you know, we talked about it going into the series. I think that that's what happens where sometimes if your top two lines are tied up or they're game planning against the and Panarin line, like, you know, that's going to leave opportunities potentially for the third and fourth line, specifically the third line with, with the kids being out there. And, um, yeah, I think Lafreniere really, um, you know, showed his leadership ability. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously you, you need the top guys to be going, but he really did have a, a, a very good series. It's very encouraging. Um, not only for the rest of this playoffs, but you know, for the future. And I, and I, I think to a lesser extent, but obviously they're, they all played together. I think Kako and Heedle really has played some of his best hockey as a Ranger confident. He's playing straightforward. Um, you know, obviously he's going to turn some pucks over here and there. They're, they're still kids. They're learning. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's very encouraging, Especially after, you know, all three of them kind of had like, you know, although Lafreniere had 19 goals regular season, that's five on five. That's impressive. But they sort of had nondescript, you know, seasons, all three of them, uh, up and down, some injuries. And, um, you know, to see them do this on the big stage is, is really impressive and important. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, obviously, the the we were talking about kind of the 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 catalyst that the game changing moments that happened in those last three games when the Rangers were down, we talked about game seven, Lafreniere Pedersen game six, you'd have to say it was Evan Rodriguez taking the retaliatory shot at, uh, at Ryan Lindgren when the Penguins were up to nothing that, you know, is always going to get called and the look on Mike Sullivan's face. I would frame that and want to <laughs> show it to my kids when I feel disappointed in them because it was the most, I the most like disappointment mixed with, I might kill you. I'm really right. gonna. I'm deciding <laughs> right. whether or not you're gonna be alive when this game is over. Um, so there was that, and even at that, you know, that still took Deming's incredible gaff on Kreider's long range shot in the final two minutes to, for the Rangers to pull that one out in Game Six, yeah. and Game Five, obviously with Crosby going out and and the debate that's gonna rage endlessly over whether Jacob Trouba's hit was intentional or not. Uh, the league decided it was not. The Penguins were not happy. Crosby had to miss Game Six. Um, 
you could certainly make a case that if Sidney Crosby doesn't skate off the ice there with whatever it is, six, five minutes to go in the second period, that the Rangers don't come back in game five. And that's that's the yeah. end of it right there, because they certainly looked like they 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 were out of it when they fell behind two nothing in that game. So, you know, definitely some some obvious things to, to me, the the animating incident for the whole. 3-1 comeback is Ryan Lindgren getting back in the lineup. No and question about it. Yep. Not just the fact that he played through what clearly is a bad lower body injury. I mean, he was in the press box with us in Pittsburgh for three and four and was hobbling like he must have had a brace that was weighed about 20 pounds underneath his suit on one of his legs. Like He just looked amazing. He looked angry at, that he wasn't playing and also kind of miserable because he was clearly in a lot of pain and whatever he was able to do to get back on the ice he didn't just get back on the ice. I mean, they played seven defensemen in game five, even though, though they dressed seven defensemen. Patrick Nemeth only played, what, the last 15 seconds of that one, and then was scratched for six and seven. Yeah, This guy's playing well, and he he's definitely steadied out Adam Fox, who I think was looking, you know, has looked a little tired, I think, at times. Um, fumbling pucks, you never see him fumble. Uh, getting bodied off pucks, which also is rare for, for Fox. Lindgren being out there and having a lot of energy whether it's blocking shots, he, he's been up in the play a lot, a lot more than he has in the regular season. I think that's that's been a help too. That conserves his partner's energy a little bit. Yep. Or and then just you know after the whistle in Game Five, just rolling around with Evgeny Malkin, who's a big, big boy. Um, you know, fans love that stuff. I think you get fans love it. Teammates love it. Um, you know, Lindgren's a guy that whenever we do get to the off season, there's going to be a debate about whether or not the Rangers should move on from him with two years left on his deal and needing some cap flexibility. Um, you know, the way that he plays, he's going to wear down, even though he's only 24. But you look at situations like the playoffs, like when you need guys like that and they can, they can step to the four. And, and in addition to what he brought, you bump Justin Braun down to the third pair, which is where he belongs you know he did a nice job stepping in for Lindgren in, in two three and four but that's not really where he is a top four guy at this stage in his career and it bumped Nemeth to the bench for the almost all of game five and then into street clothes which absolutely had to happen because he was ho- he was just horrible in the first yeah. four games so yeah. um, to me that was that was and it had nothing to do with medical luck and whatever but that was the thing I think that started the turnaround for the Rangers was getting him back yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it, it was, I was excited. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was like, when this guy goes back in, it's going to change everything because it really, or not change everything, but it makes a huge difference. Um, and that's, I mean, the idea of, of potentially walking away from a guy like that, it's like, man, it, you know, you, you can't, you also can't measure how much this playoff experience for all of the guys, uh, you know, changes how they're going to play going forward. You know, the, these are, these are growing moments. You know, it's like when you see what you can do at the highest level of competition, when things get, uh, you know, more intense and when everything's on the line and you're performing well, you know that that stuff's going to work when you go into the regular season. You know what I mean? It's like if you can bring, if you can just have that extra level, um, you know, that's that's how these guys end up growing. And I think you've, you've seen it kind of throughout the lineup. Obviously, there's been ups and downs, but you've seen guys grow. We talked about the kid line. Uh, Ryan Lindgren looks better than he looked throughout the regular season. You know, it's like he just is uh, one of those guys that when, when it really counts, he is, you know, somebody that steps up obviously. And, and it, and it kind of feeds through the rest of the team. And you're absolutely right. It, it definitely gives 
um, Fox, a, you know, security blanket, whatever you want to call it. And, and it helps his game as well. So yeah, no, it was huge to get Ryan Lindgren back and it's, uh, you know, I don't want them to get eliminated anytime soon, but once they are at, once the playoffs are over, I, it's going to be very interesting to see what, um, you know, what this injury actually is because he's clearly, uh, you know, it's a bit, it's a big deal, whatever it is. Like there's something really wrong with him, but he's, uh, he's not showing it on the ice and it's, uh, it's, it's a really impressive performance. Yeah, and another smaller one, Tyler Mott coming back in Game Six. Um, I think that's really big. Honestly, I, I really this penalty, really penalty killing was was huge, and the fact that the Rangers had to kill off you know the the five on three for two full minutes at the start of Game Five, which they did they did that without him. Um, and then in Game Seven, another five on or game, I guess it was Game Six, another long five on three. Um, you know, having him in that rotation too. You, I think, I think. Towards the end of the series, the reason that they were hard, it was a, such a slog to come back until that thing, whatever happened, kind of snapped them away because they're tired. This is a long ass season for everybody after the way that the last two seasons went. And none of these guys had playoffs, uh, with a couple of exceptions since, you know, guys that maybe were on other teams uh, and the bubble situation. So, you know, nobody's played more than whatever 60, 70 games the last couple of years with long breaks in between. This has been a grind. And it's showing it's showing on both sides. And I'm sure it'll show again in the next round that uh, that it's it's hard to go from that that level to to a much higher level of of intensity and, and the, the length and then the triple overtime game and all that stuff. It just it's hard to maintain. So when you fall behind by a couple goals in an elimination game, it's going to look like that. So to have Lindgren back is huge. To have Mott back is huge. Guys not only have fresher legs for the most part, but also who play that edgy style who are willing to throw their bodies around they've got you know the the drag you into the fight kind of guys and i think that uh you know they're small they're small changes uh tyler mott's not a guy who's going to play 20 or 25 minutes but but it doesn't go it doesn't it doesn't go by unnoticed um so you know two two huge returns for them especially with barkley goodrow out uh, and if i'm looking for you know to finish up the recap of the first round if i'm looking for an mvp of that series I'd probably go with Zibanejad, um, just because I don't think they. I just think his ability is so unique, you know. And the plays that he made in six and seven, those are must-win games. He really, you know, kind of offensively took over in game six. Really was seemed, uh, you know, he's such a he's such a low-key, quiet guy, and you could see in his reaction scoring those first two goals to get it tied in game six, where he was just like, you know, the intensity was definitely there. Um, you know, hits the post for, uh, you know, on the sh- coming out of the penalty box after the five on three ends, uh, you know, and the, the, the good viral incident of, of Kreider th- throwing the iPad away, telling him, believe in yourself, basically. Yep. Um, and two more assists and then two more points in game seven. Um, he uh, I think I think the idea that that he was looking at this as a measuring stick for his his status as a number one center in the league, which is perfectly legit, especially when you're playing against maybe the best number one center of the last 15 years in Crosby uh, and that he was getting his lunch taken from him on a, on a shift by shift basis through the first four games. And he had a little time to breathe with Crosby out um, and, and came roaring back. And really, you know, I think Kreider scoring five goals in the series and obviously scoring the, the winner as soft as it was in game six was huge. But, but to me, 
Zibanejad was the guy that turned it around for that line and really turned it around for the top six because outside of his performance in those two games, I don't think it was, you know, you, if you look back, if they lost in five or six, you'd say, where were our top six guys? You know, some points there, but not enough impact. He had an impact for sure. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, we, when we talked last week, we talked about who had been the most disappointing player. You had said Kreider and I'd said Zibanejad. And, yeah. you know, uh, and at that point it had been uh, very disappointing. And then, you know, he finishes up the series with seven points and, you know, he ties the game late and he just, he tur- he looks like the guy that we expected him to be. And, and like you said, you know, things happened. Crosby goes out, it frees him up a little bit. You know, they're, they're matching up against Panarin instead of him, you know, and whatever, but that's how, you know, that's how it works. You know, the playoffs are not a thing that you, just run through. I uh, mean, maybe unless you're Colorado or something, but we'll see. Uh, but it's not something you just run through without, you know, any ups and downs. It is about adversity. It's how you handle the matchups, how you can get away from, um, you know, a bad loss and kind of forget it and, and come out and play a, a fresh game the next time you're out there. And, you know, to see Zibanejad doing that now, it's very encouraging going into the next round. He's a bit of a streaky player and it looks like he's, um, you know, on the, the, the hot end of that, uh, whatever continuum or whatever you want to call it. Like it looks like he's got his game together right now. Kreider certainly has, has elevated his game. He he looked like a leader throughout all of this. Um, you know, when they really needed it, he, he showed it. And um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think because the has been, been the MVP of the series for me. Um, uh, and uh, you know, Kreider a close second. And I just wanted to say too, you know, I, I like we said, our Panarin did not have, a good series by, you know, his own standards, but he, he played poorly in certain games and who knows why that is. And hopefully he's over that. And the game seven goal really, really helps him uh, going into the next series. But just from like the, the broader perspective, it's like, we've seen, you know, as Rangers fans over the years, so many free agents come in, they choose New York, they get the big contract. And then, you know, most of them end up being disappointing in some way. And, you know, Artemi Panarin so far through his career has been the opposite of that. I mean, he's been better than expected, took a little less money to come to New York, wanted to come to the Rangers. And to see him play like that in this in this first round, it was concerning because you're like, man, this guy is such a – he's one of the most talented players they've ever had, I think, just pure skill-wise, such a unique player. And to see him play like that, it, it really was alarming Watching him put that that goal in, in in game seven in overtime, the crowd goes insane. That's a signature moment. That that's incredible. And you know, I think that's the guy. You know, I I don't think the guy that's fumbling pucks and you know turning pucks over. I don't think that's really him. I think I think he's gonna find his game and uh, you know real really uh, step up and and be a big force in this next series. That that's uh, something I'm looking forward to as well. All right, so now. We moved on from the Penguins, and I'm sure the Rangers have too, since Rangers Hurricane starts tomorrow night down in Raleigh. I'll be down flying down there later on. Um, this is, you know, it's obviously different. Carolina is a much younger team than Pittsburgh, um, much deeper team than Pittsburgh. Similar in in a couple ways, mainly in the superficial way, they're also using someone who's not their number one goalie and Auntie Ranta, old friend Auntie Ranta. That's going to be an interesting one to see. Um, you know, they welcome, they just welcome back the, the six guys in Carolina who played for the Rangers and were back in the garden for the first time. Uh, that was just, uh, whatever it was a month or so ago. So here they are coming back again. I don't think there's going to be any welcome videos this time. No. Um, and the thing that they do exceptionally well that the Rangers should be familiar with after playing the Penguins is 
They shoot a lot of pucks. They like to get they like to get everything going downhill in the offensive zone. They have a lot of movement. Their D move around a ton. Um, you know, and they're looking for not just shots to score. They're looking for shots to you know the pass off the pads. They're looking for rebounds. They're looking for chaos in front of the opposing net. The Penguins were doing a lot of that. And they did it really well, or the Rangers defended it really poorly, or some combination of the two. But the Penguins don't do it as well as the Hurricanes. So if the Rangers don't get their stuff together in the D zone, this could be the games could be long and the series could be short, is basically how I'd put it. Is that um, the Rangers can't be spending all of their energy trying to defend and failing, as they did a lot of times five on five against the Penguins. Um, because then they don't get anything going at the other end, and especially true for their top six guys. And, you know, Carolina, unlike Pittsburgh, um, you know, P- Pittsburgh went for offensive-style line matching. You know, they they wanted Crosby and Malkin out against against the lines and deep pairs that they wanted to see. Carolina has uh, perhaps the best checking line in the league in Jordan Stahl, uh, Nino Niederreiter, and old friend Jesper Faust. And those guys... Did a decent job on Patrice Bergeron's line in the first round. Not great, but nobody's going to stop the perfection line or whatever iteration the Bruins have of it. But um, they did pretty well. And if they are matched against Zibanejad's line, that could be a tough go because the other two Carolina top three lines uh, with Sebastian Ajo centering uh, their top line and Vincent Trocek on their second line, uh, that could be a problem. Because as we just described, the part of the panarin strom cop problem in the first round was they were defending a lot. And uh, if they're going to be out there against Trocek or out there against Ajo, they might end up defending a lot again, and that's not a good situation. So uh, this is a scary series for the Rangers, even if they were playing great and they have not played great. Um, So to me, the guys that you need to see play a lot more consistently than they did in the first round, and we didn't really go into the guys that kind of didn't turn it around like Zibanejad did. Um, to me, kind of your two most important guys are, uh, Igor Shosturkin is clearly the number one guy for, for the Rangers to have any success in this series is that he was great in game seven. And he's, like I said, still gave up three goals. He gave up a breakaway. He gave up two breakaway goals in this series, one to Malkin in game five and, uh, and one to Evan Rodriguez in game seven, um, Clear breakaways, and I wouldn't call Rodriguez as a clear breakaway because Miller was kind of interfering with him a little bit or trying to. But clear breakaways, I got this from my buddy Steve Valaket over at Clear Sight. Clear breakaways, he was 17 for 18 in saves and clear breakaways this season. Yeah. No one was even close to him in the league in stopping breakaways. And that Malkin breakaway in Game 5, he looked like he'd never he'd never seen a breakaway before, <laughs> like he'd never taken a shootout shot. Yeah. He was deep in his net. He was He didn't look like he knew what to do. And that's concerning. And then the Rodriguez goal where, you know, the initial touch by Rodriguez after he sees like he might have a breakaway, he touches it about 30 feet down the ice. And Igor is a great, you know, plays the puck great as evidenced by his amazing assist in game six to, you know, to set up the go-ahead goal in the second period. Um, And he's usually on his toes and he's usually aggressive. And he sat back and waited for Rodriguez to come in. And then it was kind of an awkward shot and, but, you know, you can't totally fault him on the shot because Miller was trying to trying to break it up and that may have changed some angle. But but when you see Igor Shosturkin sitting back and waiting for something to happen, that's also a red flag to me. And he was and like I said, he was great when he was set up in his net. You know, he made a couple of big saves in that first period that that kind of helped settle the team down a little bit. But um, 
but he's got to be better and more consistent. I'm sure he'd be the first person to say that. So he's number one for me. And right behind him is Jacob Truba, who has been, you know, he's been their leader all year long. He doesn't wear the C, uh, but he essentially does because he's the guy that is kind of the tone setter. And obviously his hit on, on Sidney Crosby, uh, intentional, accidental. I'm sure it was more accidental than anything else, but he looked really rattled in game six in Pittsburgh and they were, they were booing him. He was the, he knew he was the one responsible for Crosby not being out there. Um, and he's the veteran guy on that, on that decor right now. So, uh, you need to see him be a little less, uh, a little less aggressive going out to make hits. You know, I, he had a couple other hits that were kind of, that were whistled for penalties that were kind of like, this guy needs to, you know, take a breath in the penalty box here and calm himself down. Um, and in general, in game six, he was terrible. Uh, you know, he was on, I think he was on the ice for all three Pittsburgh goals. Um, it was his, it was his turnover to Malkin that, that set him off on the breakaway. Uh, so those to me are two guys that need to be more like they were in the regular season for the Rangers to have a chance against Carolina. Yeah, a hundred percent. I completely agree. I would probably flip it the other way. I mean, I think, I think Truba is going to be, I mean, I, whatever. I mean, obviously Igor, you know, your goaltending, you're only going to go as far as your goalie takes you, but I think Truba needs to be uh, significantly better. I mean, he's played, he has played uh, poorly. I mean, and especially after a, a really solid regular season where, he stepped into, like you said, into this leadership role. He, um, you know, was playing very sound defensively, I think, throughout, laying big hits on people. Um, yeah, he was kind of all over the place. He was turning pucks over. And I think, you know, I think this is going to turn into a nasty series. I don't I don't think, you know, I, I, there was like a little bit of jawing back and forth against the Penguins, but it, it really was, it never turned into something where you were like, God, this is like extremely intense. You know, I mean, there was back and forth play and you know the games were intense but I, I didn't think that there was um you know after game one game two there there wasn't as much physical play uh, as you would, ex- would maybe expect uh there's gonna be that against the hurricanes i think svechnikov is a is a little monster running around for them like he little is not the word i do yeah, to describe a big monster, that yeah he's a big boy <laughs> yeah and he he when he hits you you know it you know what i mean he and he'll he's gonna hit you after the whistle he's gonna be, he's a nasty player and i think i think this series is gonna have that tone right from the beginning um you know and if the rangers have a counter to that i mean one of the guys in the lineup that can do it is jacob truba and he's gonna have to do it um and like you said i think i think with igor you know, you can't really discount again that that triple overtime in game one, which how often do you see that? It's so it's so rare, I think, for a, a game one to go that deep. And he made two hundred and fifty-three saves in the series, which is a Rangers record, which is absurd. I think you know, I absurd, think absurd act- to know that he missed basically essentially a full game of it too, but when he got pulled twice. That's right. Oh my god, yeah, that's it's absolutely right. Right. He could have had, you know, three hundred saves. He, you know, I think the extra day of rest here uh, really helps them. I mean, it would have been nice for them to get out in, in six games instead of seven, but we'll take the day of rest. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Igor will look more like Igor um, as he did kind of as the, you know, after games three and four, I think he, he started to really, you know, turn it around and he had a really, really solid game seven, the the breakaways, maybe notwithstanding in six and seven. But um, yeah, to me, Truba's the guy that's got to, got to find his game and settle things down because Keandre Miller's played really well. You know, he's played solid. He drew the power play in overtime in game seven. Uh, like you said, I think Braun uh, fits nicely on that third pair. He's, he's settled it down. Uh, Braden Schneider's look good. And now with Lindgren back in, um, you know, that makes a big difference for Fox. So to me, the guy that needs to, uh, to improve and, and will be a big key in the series is Truba. And uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. 
So we're coming to the end of the show. By the time we record next week, it I don't it can't it actually can't be over because that's the day of game four. So we'll be yeah. we'll, we'll have another of these uh, while the series is still going on. But um, I threw out my immediate prediction uh, once the once the second round was set on Twitter, and I'm sure I was getting some grief for it. I said Hurricanes in five. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll bump it up to six. I feel like the Rangers. Um. You know, if the Rangers win this series, it wouldn't surprise me. Nothing that they've done so far this season has surprised me. The fact that they were going into the Penguin series as pretty heavy favorites, just judging by anecdotal evidence and what you'd seen on the ice and what the Penguins are bringing, and that was even before uh, Casey DeSmith went out. Um, it seemed like the Rangers were going to be able to win that series in in convincing fashion, and instead they almost lost it in very convincing fashion and were able <laughs> to come back. And then when you look at the at the metrics and the numbers from that series, when it's over, you're saying, I don't know how the Rangers won. And I still don't. I watched it all, and I still don't. The fact that they were down in all three of their, their elimination games and the way that they played in three and four and game four, which was really kind of a as close to a, a give-up game as I've seen from them in a long, long time. Yeah. Um, the fact that they were able to come back from that and the resilience and all that, you know, resilience is something that you, you like to know that you have it when it's tested, but you don't want to have to test it every night. And they need to come out a lot better in this series. And if they, you know, you, you could certainly see some some jitters from the other side. Carolina's playing in front of their number two goalie and a guy in Auntie Ranta who uh, has, has always been injury plagued when he plays a lot and he's been playing a lot. So you got something to keep an eye on. And our old friend Tony D'Angelo, um, you know, he he kept it together well enough uh, against Brad Marchand, one of the world's elite pains in the ass, and played a great series. He was probably Carolina's best player in that series. So if he can keep it together when the garden crowd is getting on him and his old teammates are getting on him, every time he skates by the bench and sees Alexander Georgiev, maybe that'll put him on tilt. But, uh, you know... That's another question mark for Carolina. They are a young team. They have gone beyond this spot before with most of their guys in, back in 2019. But um, but whether they have the guys to elevate themselves to an even higher level is, you know, could still be in question. And maybe they're easily distracted because they're a bit younger of a team. But just looking at it heading into this matchup, even with Carolina needing seven games to, to get rid of Boston, um, just the way the Rangers have played against Pittsburgh the incredible comeback and the game seven overtime and all that exciting stuff, notwithstanding, I don't see how they're going to be able to contain Carolina once, once the hurricanes get into their zone. And unless the Rangers can develop more of a four check. And to me, you know, the guy that's been kind of their elite four checker uh, and, and, you know, the guy that's played the best below the hash marks consistently in the first round was Capo Caco. And yeah. he's not a guy who gets a lot of minutes. Like we were saying, that line, I think, has been their most consistent on the four check. And maybe Gerard Gallant has to say, you know, to his top two lines, you guys just don't have it. And kind of, you know, flip that script a little bit uh, if he starts to see things getting one and done a lot in the offensive zone. So um, you need to see a little bit more from the top six. You need to see a little bit more, like we said, from from kind of their anchor on D and Truba. And if Igor is Igor and the MVP guy comes back out like he did for some stretches of game seven, um, then it could go seven. It could, or, you know, it could flip the other way and the Rangers could, could frustrate the hell out of the, out of the hurricanes and wrap it up sooner. But, but, you know, generally speaking, I'll say hurricanes and six and, uh, the Rangers can go ahead and prove me wrong yet again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd be happy for them to prove you wrong for sure. I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago, if you go back to the conversation we were having, 
you know, I said like, maybe I'll root for the Bruins. Like, uh, you know, uh, the Hurricanes are a team that I, I just, they, they have their system down pat. Like they play a, a very unique style. Like you said, pucks are just going to be flying at the net, which I guess isn't something that Igor is going to be so surprised by, but pucks are going to be, you know, coming at them. Um, and they just play like a really, just like a different brand of hockey than you see from a lot of other teams. And I think, you know, look, I, I'm not, I, in no way am I counting the Rangers out. I, I'm a diehard. I'm rooting for them to win this series. I think based on what I've seen defensively and, you know, kind of how things went in the, in the Penguin series, if they play that way against the Hurricanes, like you said, they're going to be long games, but a short series. And I, I think that's a hundred percent true. I mean, I think the Rangers could really get, um, they could really get blown out if they have those lapses defensively against the Hurricanes because that's not a team that, is uh is going to play around. They're going to put pucks on net and they're, they're going to go in if if they get some extended zone time like that. So, um, my official pick, uh, I agree with you. I think I think the Hurricanes are just you know I think they're just farther along in 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 you know the development of the team. I don't, I don't think it means the Rangers are a bad team. I think the the window is open for the Rangers. I think it's possible that they can win the series. To me, I'm looking at it as the Hurricanes are are the favorite. And I I think they potentially win the series in six. That being said, like you said, the Rangers could win this series. You know, the way Zibanejad looked over the last few games, Kreider's coming alive. Uh, you know, they got a little rest here. Igor looked good. This is not a team you count out. And and certainly, you know, the game four kind of being an anomaly, this team doesn't quit no matter what the score is. They don't, um, you know, they don't, it doesn't bother them. They're, they're a very resilient team and they showed it coming back uh, from deficits three times in an elimination, you know, elimination games in the last series. So, Officially, I'm picking the Hurricanes. Of course, I'm rooting for the Rangers, and I'd I'd love to see it happen. But um, I, I think either way, it's going to be a, a really important series, and it's going to be a growing series for the Rangers, a learning series, and and you know hopefully they can do it. But we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Well, it's very brave of you, Chris, to risk your status in a lot of Ranger group chats by picking against them. So <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but and then as soon as Game One starts, I'm like, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this series. <laughs> and, you know. Well, if they're up three nothing when we're when we when we reconvene next week, then you can just uh, you can digitally erase the record on this one. <laughs> yeah, say, exactly. Yeah, I, I said the Rangers were going to sweep. So. Um, well, thanks, Chris, and thanks to everybody out there for listening to the Garden Faithful. If you're enjoying the show so far, please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a five star rating and a review. It really helps us grow the show. You can subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30 day free trial, then it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash TGF. He's Chris Flannery. I'm Arthur Staple. This is The Garden Faithful. Rangers Round 2 begins tomorrow night. Buckle up. <laughs>